This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everyone. It's great to be in church, right? Good, yes, welcome. I, uh, I know you've already been greeted by a bunch of people on the way in, but I just wanted to add my own personal welcome to all of you, especially to those of you who are new to New Life this morning. This is a church where everyone is welcome, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, believe it or not, Jesus is actually not looking for perfect people. The church isn't looking for perfect, we're not even looking for good people. You know, the interesting thing is, God's specialty is taking broken people and making them whole. And taking good people and making them great. That's what he does. So a little bit later this morning, I'm going to be giving all of us the opportunity. If we've never made the decision to follow Christ, I'm going to be giving us the opportunity to do that. Let me give you one good reason why you should do that. Because when you decide to follow Christ, he doesn't just improve your life. He transforms it. He changes its very substance and nature, and it's amazing what takes place. And I can only tell you that because I daily experience that in my own life. And I love living a transformed life. And if there's anything I could wish for everyone in the world, it's that everyone in the world could experience what it feels like to be able to live from a place where Christ has transformed your life. So are you on board with that? All right, here we are. Let's, there are some things we're going to learn today that will assist us in that transformation. And for those of you who are brand new, I want to introduce you to a couple of tools that are really important here at New Life. We use them every single week. And the first is the sheet of teaching notes that you'll find in your program. And if you pull that out, you can fill in the blanks as we go along. You can write in other principles and concepts. But here's the deal. Yes, if you write it down, you're more likely to remember what you write than what you just hear. But if you will take this and one time this week, if you will read through everything that is written here and take a moment just to let it sink in, you'll probably triple what you're going to learn this morning if you just sat here and listened. So that's why we provide that every week. And then the second thing is this card that says start here on one side and connect card on the other side. We know that people that come to church oftentimes want information. We want to be able to get you that information. We know that oftentimes people want to volunteer for things that we're doing as a church. We want to be able to to give you those opportunities to volunteer so that you can serve where you want to serve. And We know that sometimes people want us to pray about something that's happening in their life. And so we have opportunities for all of those things on this card. Also, there's a place on there for you to record how you're going to apply what I'm teaching you today so that we can pray for you as you go out this week and you learn how to live in this uh, different context that we're going to talk about this morning. But it all begins with you putting your name and your email address on the front so that when we're ready to pray or get that information to you, that, that we actually get that information to the right person. At the very end of our teaching time, we'll be collecting those 
uh, at the same time as we collect our tithes and offerings. So you can just get those ready, and uh, at the end of the teaching time, we'll jump into that. Now, we are in a teaching series called Unwavering, and we started it last week, and Kevin did an awesome job. Don't you think Kevin did an awesome job last week? I had so many people say to me, I'm so excited about the sermon series, and that Kevin just hit a home run last week. And so, okay, I'm going to try to follow up the home run with another one, all right? So here we go. Um, One of the principles that Kevin taught us last week in this, this concept of leadership is that all of us lead. Every single one of us. Now, the amazing thing is, when we run surveys, what it comes back is about 90-10, that 10% of the people acknowledge that they're leaders and 90% of the people don't consider themselves to be leaders at all. And friends, we want to correct that. Just this last week, I sat in in a, a funeral home for a memorial service and I realized that virtually every funeral home I've ever been to is about the same size, the auditorium is. Have you noticed that? Did you know there's a reason for that? Virtually every funeral home you'll be in, you count them, there's about 200 seats in there. And the reason there's 200 seats is the people who work in that industry know that the average American significantly affects 200 different people in their lifetime at any one time. Which is why usually when you go to a memorial service, the place is usually pretty comfortably full. You know what I want you to know? that there are 200 people who are hoping that you will lead well in this life. Because everybody leads. At home, in the workplace, and so forth. So I want all of us to consider ourselves leaders. So that's the first thing that Kevin taught us. The second thing that he taught us was this, that we're actually in the people business. We're not in the widget business, and we're not in the project business. Yes, you might work at a company that makes widgets, and you might have projects to manage at that, at that company, or you might work on projects wherever you are, but if you, can, if you can be in the people business primarily while you're making widgets, amazing things happen. And those who have been fo- called to follow Christ are always in the people business no matter where we are. Even when we're at home, we're in the people business. When we're at school, we're in the people business. When we go to the grocery store, we're in the people business. If you're a cashier at a grocery store, you're not just in the cashier business. Look at yourself as being in the people business. And you and I have all had cashiers who were in the people business, right? They greet you as if you're more important than their groceries, yeah, we're in the people business. Today, I want, to, I want to couple a third principle to that, and then we're going to look at a very specific aspect of leadership. And the third principle is this. Everyone wins when a leader gets better. Everyone wins. I'm gonna, you're going to hear that often for the next several months as we approach Global Leadership Summit, which I'm going to talk to you about a little bit later this morning. But you're going to hear that phrase over and over again, because everyone wins when a leader gets better. Think about this. When mom and dad learn how to lead better in the home, do the kids win? Yeah, they do. Do mom and dad win? 
Yeah, they do. When the boss at work learns how to lead better, is the boss a happier boss? Absolutely. Are the workers happier workers? Yes. When a teacher learns how to lead better in the classroom, the students win and the teacher wins and the principal wins. Everybody wins when a leader gets better. So the whole thrust of this series is showing us how we can all lead better so that those 200 people that are out there counting on us to lead well, so that all 200 of them can win because we actually got better at living life. Now, today, we're going to tackle the beginning of a problem. What happens when you have been called to lead or you have... You find yourself responsible for something, and when you begin to dig into it, it's way worse than you thought it might be. Anybody ever been there? We have all been there, right? And there are times when you don't, actually don't want to dig any deeper. Why? Because you're afraid of what you're going to find. Now, we're looking at this whole ser- sermon series in the context of the life of one of the great leaders in the Bible, and probably one of the great leaders of all time, there have been so many leadership textbooks that have actually just been written out of the principles and concepts of this man's life. His name is Nehemiah. And the backstory was Nehemiah belonged to a, a group of people who had been uh, captured and taken to a foreign country. And there in a foreign country, he had been put into the service of the king. Now, Nehemiah was an exceptional guy in that even as a foreigner, he rose in the ranks of power until eventually he became sort of the, the captain or the leader of the king's secret service, the most trusted man in the kingdom because he was personally responsible for the safety of the king. But though he was living over here in Susa, his heart was all the way back in Jerusalem, the capital city of his home country. And yet Nehemiah served faithfully and happily, and one day a couple of buddies came to him, and Nehemiah said, how's everything in Jerusalem? And they said, Nehemiah, it's awful. It's absolutely terrible. If you saw the city, you would just be destroyed because the city is all broken down The walls are all broken down. The gates were all burned. It looks like a trash dump. And Nehemiah is destroyed by that. But he's a great leader, and on the inside, he gets what every great leader gets. He begins to get this stirring, and he says, I need to do something about that. Eventually, he shares that story with the king that is serving. And the king that he's serving is the most powerful person in the whole world and has virtually unlimited resources. And the king says, Nehemiah, man, you're my man. I count on you. And I can tell that you have sorrow of the heart. He said, I know when I see somebody who just got some awful news. What's up, man? And so Nehemiah tells him the story. And the king says, well, hey, what do you want to do? Nehemiah said, I would love to go back and rebuild that city and, and build it into something glorious and wonderful like it, like it deserves to be. And the king said, Nehemiah, if you want to do that, man, my wallet is your wallet. Wouldn't you love to have that budget? My wallet's your wallet. Whatever you want, you write out the request for it. 
and we'll get it to you. And so Nehemiah heads back to rebuild this sort of garbage dump that used to be Jerusalem. Now, it's 777 miles as the crow flies from Susa to Jerusalem, but there's no direct route, and the route that Nehemiah traveled was closer to 1,000 miles on horseback with a bunch of supplies. It took days, it took weeks, maybe even months for him to get there. Now, Nehemiah is a type A kind of leader. He's ready to get up and get at it. But I want you to see the first thing that Nehemiah does. Here it is. So I arrived in Jerusalem, and I want you to underline the next three words. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. What in the world was Nehemiah doing for three days? Well, here's what Nehemiah knew, and it's our first principle That if we're going to lead well, we have to lead from a full heart and a full spirit. We can't. I'll tell you what. When mom and dad are leading on an empty heart or an empty spirit, do you want to be the kid? Nope. Because there's two reasons why you and I need to lead from a full heart and spirit, and Nehemiah knew them both. And the first principle is this. It's because people who lead on empty become dangerous and destructive. It's so important that when we, when we influence other people, that there's this wonderful abundance and generosity about us that enables us just to overflow into people's lives with the most wonderful stuff. But when our tank is on empty, we can't overflow. And usually what overflows is not that pretty. It's pretty awful. And we become dangerous and destructive. The second reason we want to lead from a full heart and a full spirit is this. The organization, whether it's the home or at work or the neighborhood or the schoolroom or wherever we are, The organization that we work with and that we lead, that organization thrives off the energy of its leader. And when the leader is low on energy and the tank is on empty, the organization can't thrive. But man, when the leader's heart is full and overflowing, the organization just buzzes. It thrives off of that energy. So how can we do that? And that's the really big question. And I want to give you three words that will help us with this. And they're all simple words and they're all simple concepts. None of them are hard to do, but boy, do they make a difference. And the first word is this, and that is we need to rest. Americans, by and large, live sleep exhausted. We pack our days completely full. And we fall into bed completely exhausted and we sleep only as long as we feel like we absolutely have to. And our television programs that we like to watch usually don't get over till 11 o'clock or midnight. And we have to be at work at a certain time and there you go and there you have it. Or by the time you get the kids put to bed, if you have young children, you think, 
finally, some me time. And you know the one thing you hate to do with your me time? Go to bed. Yeah. I know those. Now listen. One of the things that happens when I speak, and I suspect it happens to Kevin as well, but one of the things that happens is usually when I'm going to speak on a subject, I get tested on it right then. Okay? And I can tell you that some of the things that I'm saying to you, I tend to do pretty well on sleep, but the next one I don't tend to do very well on, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But I want you to write down this figure, okay? Virtually everyone in study after study after study after study has been done about this. Virtually everyone requires seven hours of sleep to function anywhere close to their peak. Not less than seven, and many people require eight. So take a look at yourself and decide, are you superhero? Or do you need what, what you really need? Okay? The second word is this, refresh. If you're going to lead with a full heart and a full spirit, you have to be rested, and then you have to be refreshed. Now, this is different from relaxation. Relaxation you can do in front of a TV, but you will never be refreshed in front of a TV. I can guarantee that. Okay? Refreshment is some activity that you do that actually brings more energy to you than you expend doing it. For instance, you could go on a walk in nature. It takes energy to walk, but if, if that's a refreshing exercise for you, by the time you get back, you are ready to do something. Because you've come home with a full heart and a full spirit, and you have been refreshed. Now here's a simple activity, but I would challenge you with it, and I've been challenged with this. Find five things that refresh you, Write them down, and then look at your calendar and ask, how often do I schedule time for these five things? If you want to lead with a full heart and a full spirit, you'll know what those five things are, and you will be regularly doing them. That, by the way, is where I'm challenged right now. And that's a point of prayer for me in this coming week, because I know what those things are. But you know what happens to those refreshing activities when life gets really busy? They get pushed out. Because you don't have to be refreshed to survive. But you do have to be refreshed to thrive. Everybody got that? So find those, put them in your calendar, and begin to do that so you can lead from a full heart and a full spirit. And the third word that I want to give you is this. You have to learn. You know, I wrote down these questions. What am I doing on purpose right now to learn? To increase my knowledge base. To increase what I know. What am I doing right now to increase my skill in some specific area? Or am I just going through life trying to take care of responsibilities and somehow hope that miraculously in going through the routine of everyday life I end up being an expert at something? Yeah, how's that going to work? That would never work. So, have you ever noticed that when you are led by a person who is continually learning and excited about what they're learning, how that somehow that just spills over onto you? Somehow you end up feeling refreshed by something they've just learned. Imagine 
being the child in a home where parents are continually learning and improving their skills as parents, and they're leading with that fresh and full spirit that comes where they're rested, where they're refreshed, and when they're always learning new things. Now, there's a way, there's so many different ways to apply this, but I put one in your notes because it has the, the ability to help you in a couple of areas. And that is, you can see it there and you can check it, and then you can check it on your Connect card as well. And here's how you can apply this I will read the book Simplify by Bill Hybels. It is a great book, and it speaks to these issues and these challenges and gives even more information than I'm giving you here. I will read that book, Simplify, and I will attend Global Leadership Summit. And some of you have noticed I'm wearing a logo shirt about that. Um, Global Leadership Summit is the largest leadership event in the world. It's coming to new life this summer via the, the miracle of video. It's going to be absolutely off the hook and fun and outstanding and an outrageous learning experience. And I'll tell you what, if you read the book Simplify and you come to Global Leadership Summit, I will guarantee that you will be refreshed and I will guarantee that you will have so much excitement and information and, and, and inspiration that, that you will be able to lead and do what you do out of a full heart and a full spirit for a long time. It's that good. So that's how you can apply that today. Let's move on to number two. So when you find that this is worse than you think, what's the first thing that you do? You've got to pause and make sure that your spirit is full and your heart's full. And oftentimes we panic when we discover things are worse than we think, and we think, I have to act now. Nehemiah didn't do that. He took three full days to rest, to be refreshed, and actually to learn. And then he said, now I can take some action and not destroy the people I'm trying to lead and not be dangerous to them. The second thing, notice what Nehemiah did here, and we're going to read it. Uh, in the verses just following the ones. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate. By the way, I don't know who came up with that name, but that would be an awful place. Yeah, we live over by the dung gate. All right, here you go. To inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. You know what Nehemiah was doing? Okay, Nehemiah was learning how to define and accept reality as it was. It was not enough for Nehemiah to get on his donkey, get up on a hill, sort of overlook the city and go, oh man, that's a mess. Nehemiah said, I got to get up close and personal with this because I have to know what I'm dealing with and I can tell you that if you're going to lead well in any context you have to know not 10% of the truth not 50% of the truth not 70% of the truth if you're going to lead well you actually need to know a hundred percent of the truth now I'm going to teach you a truth principle and then a couple of principles out of it and I call it the 70-20-10 truth principle. 70% of the truth is obvious to everyone. 
If I went to your place of work and we were to talk about some problem you were having at work, I guarantee you I could sit down and talk with any employee in the place and they could tell me 70% of the problem. It's obvious. Everybody knows it. All you have to do is open your eyes. Anybody can see it. And you know something? When we lead from a perspective of 70% of the truth, are solutions tough to come up with at work? Yeah, they don't even work at a 70% rate. Sometimes they fail completely. So, here's the, here's the 20 part. 20% of the truth, the next 20% of the truth, becomes obvious to us relatively early in the investigation. Yeah. Once we start to dig a little bit, oh, I didn't know that. Well, that connects a lot of dots for me. And so we've got 20% more of the truth. How much of the truth do we have now? Good. You guys are good at math. 90%. And you know something? When we have 90% of the truth, many of us, that's when we pull the trigger. I know pretty much everything there is to know about this. I, I mean... I know the part that I knew on the way in. I've dug a little bit, and I've really added to my knowledge base. But I want to teach you something that I got exposed to last year. And it's been so helpful for me. And that is, I want to teach you the principle of pushing for the last 10% of the truth. It will take effort. Okay? Here's three principles about the last 10%. But before I teach you that, I want you to know that it's in the last 10% that hold the key to freedom. It's what opens the door to freedom. The last 10% is, is where you're going to find most of your solutions, and the last 10% is going to bring the most liberation to you uh, in whatever you do. I want to teach you three principles about that last 10% of the truth. Number one, it's the hardest to get to. If it was easy, everybody would have it, right? Yeah. The last 10% of the truth is the hardest to get to. And that's why oftentimes we give up. We think, yeah, I know pretty much everything, and then we're ready to fire. No, it's in that last 10%. It's the hardest to get to. And I want to encourage you, whether it's the truth about raising your children or the truth about interacting with that neighbor that you can't stand, or the truth about the job where you are, or the people that you're responsible to lead, I want to encourage you, push in the best way possible for the last 10% of the truth. It will not be easy, but it will be worth it. But there's one other thing about that that makes it tough too, and that is oftentimes the last 10% of the truth is the hardest part of the truth to accept. I want to illustrate it in only one way, in, in only one setting, but it's, it's, we could illustrate this in many, okay? Let's take someone who drinks more alcohol than they should. 70% of the people know they drink more than they should. Virtually everyone in their world knows that, okay? And they even know that. So you know what they will say to you? I probably drink more than I should. Is there any freedom in that part of the truth? No, there's only guilt. And, and guilt doesn't bring freedom. 
20% of the people who know them really, really well will say, no, he or she not only drinks more than they should, they're actually a problem drinker. They have real problems in their life because of what they drink. And occasionally, the person who's doing the drinking will say, yeah, I'm starting to see I'm a problem drinker. I need to get this under control. I need to do something about this. But you know when most people get freedom? It's not until they're willing to push for the last 10% of the truth and say, I'm actually an alcoholic. Hardest to say, hardest realization to get to. But you know what? When they realize they're addicted to alcohol, it opens the door to freedom because now they know, I can't just try to get this under control. I've got to go get the help I need. And when they go get the help they need, it leads to years of being clean and sober. And oftentimes it saves marriages and it rescues the lives of children who would have been abused and or neglected or at best trained in the wrong way to live. There's massive freedom that comes if we're willing to push for the last 10% of the truth. And I want to challenge all of us no matter where we are, if we're circling the city of Jerusalem and there's junk lying everywhere, let's push for that last 10% of the truth. Let's get on our donkey, figuratively speaking. Let's go out and ride. And where we can't ride, let's walk. And let's look. And no matter how terrible what we discover is, let's just say, I'm going to get 100% of the truth, no matter how ugly it is. And then I'm going to trust that if I will take that 100% of the truth to God, he's going to give me things to do with that 100% of the truth that are going to work, and I'm not hiding anything from him, and I'm not saying I don't want to dig any deeper for, for fear of what I will find. Actually, I want to dig until I find everything there is to find because I don't want to be surprised by something downline that I was afraid to face. Are you on board with that? Makes all kinds of sense, doesn't it? Sure. So, very simple way that we can apply that today. And that is just to look inside and say, is there some area of my life where I've sort of wanted to be satisfied with 70% of the truth or 90% of the truth and I really haven't wanted to dig into, but I know I need to. This would be a good week to say, God, this week I'm pushing for that that last 10% of the truth, because, God, I want the freedom that comes when I actually face that and deal with that and I can define and accept reality as it is. That's when hope dawns and that's when God begins to give real revelation about things that actually liberate us. Now, I said earlier that, and actually I prayed all week, that that there would be people in our audience this morning who would make the decision to follow Christ with their life. The last 10% of the truth when it comes to life is you can improve your life. You can even significantly improve your life. But you cannot transform your life. There's only one person in the world 
who has the power to transform your life, and that's Jesus. And the message of the Bible is very clear, and it's very simple. Jesus said, I died on the cross, and Justin said it so well for us during worship today. I died on the cross so that you could not only have your sins forgiven, but you could have your life changed. In my notes, I wrote this. Jesus loves you just the way you are. And he does. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. He has a great plan for your life. And he wants to do through you, and he wants to do in you more than you could ever imagine. But it begins with one simple decision. He made the decision to come and give his life for you. And now the choice is yours. And when you decide, I want to get on board with Jesus, and I want to follow him for the rest of my life, I know he'll take me as I am. So I bring myself just as I am, and I say, Lord, I'm here to follow you. I know that you can forgive me of everything I've done, and you've offered that to me today. I officially accept that. And today, I take the, the, the label Christ follower, or the label Christian, and I put it on myself. Because from this day forward, I will follow Christ. And I believe that he will transform my life. I want to give you that opportunity. Actually, he gives you that opportunity this morning. If you're ready to make that decision, there's a place on your Connect card where you can check that option as well. Uh, and, and for sure, if you're making that decision this morning, please, put, please check that box because I've got some resources I want to put in your hands and we want to make sure that you get started well on that journey. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. It's a prayer of decision. Any of the application points this morning, uh, this is your time to do your business with God. I'm just going to pray for all of us. And then there's a place in there where if you're making the decision to follow Christ, you can repeat that prayer and you'll, you'll know what that is. Father, I'm praying for my friends right now. As we process this, this whole thing of learning how to lead out of a full heart and spirit and learning how to rest and learning how to be refreshed and and learning how to learn and and god then pressing for that last 10 percent of the truth and trusting you with it so god would you help us if there are things in our life right now that we need to press for the truth in those areas would you just call us to that right now give us the courage to admit that give us the courage to acknowledge that to you and to go to work on it this week with you. And then, uh, if you're ready to accept Christ, here's the simple prayer. Lord Jesus, today I choose to follow you with my life. I trust you to forgive my sins. And I trust you to transform my life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.